Matt Sullivan here to remind you to stop putting screens on your gutters. Better to schedule a free estimate with the local experts at Gutter Helmet so you stay off the ladder. Visit GutterHelmetIndy.com. With Gutter Helmet, you'll never clean your gutters again. GutterHelmetIndy.com. Good morning. It is Thursday, December 22nd. It's five minutes after 11. This is the Kendall and Casey show on 93 WIBC. Rob Kendall has the day off and Guy Relford is joining me in the studio. And this powerful winter storm pounding a big portion of the country, freezing temperatures, heavy snow, snarling a lot of holiday plans. And for millions in its path, the storm could intensify uh, here in Indiana. We're looking at rain and then snow and then freezing rain. And uh, Google searches for the phrase bomb cyclone are trending right now. What is a bomb cyclone? It sounds pretty scary, but I guess it's appropriate because a lot of people are saying that this storm, when the weather is dropping across the country, it's a 40 degree change within a matter of a half an hour. And it is like a snow tornado. Yeah, literally. And and where there's so much precipitation all at once combined Mm -hmm. with really high winds, Mm -hmm. you get a bomb cyclone. A bomb cyclone. Yeah, it's a term for fast developing storm that occurs with atmospheric pressure drops at least 24 millibars over a 24-hour period, whatever that means. That's from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. I don't claim to be a meteorologist. Uh, I just know that it's going to be a lot to deal with. And uh, up in northern Indiana, they are experiencing blizzard warnings right now. And... I have to tell you, at one point, I lived in northern Indiana for 25 years, very used to the lake effect snow. You know, the jet stream, the way Mm -hmm. it runs, that weather would come across Lake Michigan and then just dump right on South Bend. So very used to driving in snow. This may be a different situation because of the high winds that you talked about Mm -hmm. and the wind chill and the freezing temperatures because it's going to turn to ice possibly and governor holcomb has enlisted the help of 150 national guardsmen who are going to be out helping people on the highway but uh i can recall one winter and it was it was right after the winter uh my father passed away Mm. and i was driving from st louis back to south bend and it was so bad that they closed the toll road Oh, wow. In northern Indiana. Not just a portion of it, because there's always a portion near Elkhart where it always seems to be closed down. Uh, This was the entire toll road from New Buffalo all the way over to the Ohio border. So I had to take US-12 to get home, and it took me, I don't know, five, six hours. The worst part, Guy, was that I was driving in a rear-wheel drive Mm. convertible Mustang. (laughs) Yeah. Loved that car. Yeah. yeah. Loved that car. It was such a good car. It was a 2011. It was really boxy. It kind of looked like a muscle car and it mm-hmm. was striped delete. So it didn't have the printing of Mustang on the side. Yeah, it was right, not, it yeah. was just all black. It had a uh, saddle leather interior and boy, it was a lot of fun. And, and well, hold on. You really liked it because a blonde in a Mustang it, convertible, a Mustang convertible. gets a lot of attention. Yeah, you know, but man, was that a really, really stupid <laughs> choice to have in the winter in northern Indiana. Well, it's, it's funny you mention that, Casey, because, you know, whenever uh, we get out of here and I get out in the weather, I, I don't think it's going to be real bad uh, in central Indiana until later today. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, you're you're sitting across the studio right now from a guy who drives a uh, uh, 640 
30 horsepower rear wheel drive mm-hmm. muscle car. And then I drove down here. Now, my wife drives an all wheel drive Audi Q7, mm-hmm. very beautiful vehicle. Yeah. I thought, I don't want to drive that. I want to drive my car because I really, really, really like my car. Yeah. Um, but uh, this may be the last time it gets out of the garage for a few days. Yeah. <laughs> because it's a rear- horrible, it's mm-hmm. basically a, a uh, a four-door Corvette is mm-hmm. basically what this thing is. Goes super fast, a lot of fun, but not practical. Yeah, no, it's a it's Cadillac CTSV is what it is, and and uh, but it god awful in any kind of weather. There are 12 cities in the country that are really going to get just hammered by this storm, and they are Chicago, Minneapolis, St. Louis, Des Moines, Detroit, Milwaukee, Kansas City, Buffalo, Cleveland, New York, Boston, and. Indianapolis. Up to six inches could fall. Storm watch is in effect until Saturday morning. Uh, Rain is going to kick things up, developing into snow later tonight. And then after the holiday weekend is over and the 113 million travelers are back home after the holiday, then the temperatures rise again up to 40 degrees. So it kind of has me thinking, everybody wants a white Christmas, right? It's a very romantic notion, gathering around the fire. You've got the family and the food and the presents and white Christmas, and it's beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. And then as soon as Christmas is over, what what do we want? (laughs) We want that snow out of here. And that's uh, kind of, I think, what is going to happen here. It's going to come in, but then exit quickly. Yeah, I don't see this snow as being that pretty, you know, white Christmas kind of snow. This looks like it's going to be blowing a little, and, and, a little rougher and, than and that. It's going to end with a lot of freezing conditions where roads are going to be wet and then mm-hmm. freeze, uh, which is always horrible. I, I, you know, give me snow, even with a horrible car in snow, give me snow before you give me ice mm-hmm. any day of the week. Absolutely. And so this, this one looks like it really has a potential for icing conditions mm-hmm. and then a bunch of snow on top of that, which is then even worse. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this one's uh, Uh, This one's got ugly written all over it. Yeah, and many times meteorologists will get a bad reputation for overhyping things, right? Uh, All indications say that this is going to be nasty. So you have been warned, this is not a drill. Yep, Yeah. there you go. It is going to be cold. And uh, so cold that politicians may stop blowing hot air. We'll see. (laughs) Doubt it. Hey, let's talk about this poll that was released. And it shows that... Congresswoman Victoria Sparts is tied with Jim Banks regarding the U.S. Senate. She has not formally announced that she's running, and I know that you uh, you speak to her often. Is that something that's coming? Yeah, I mean, I, I have no inside information on that, um, but yeah, I, I'd be shocked if Victoria doesn't run for Senate. And mm-hmm. and and you know, I, and I don't want to I don't want uh, to exaggerate my relationship with her. I, I'm a sure. fan of hers, and um, I, I, I worked a little bit on on her campaign, and uh, in the sense that you know, I, I had promotional materials up in my office and whatnot. But um, but anyway, I, I've just talked to her a little bit, and and uh, I, and she's not mentioned anything one way or the other about running for Senate, but given where she is, mm-hmm. uh, given her, um, I think the, the footprint she's established for herself already in the House of Representatives, I think she'd be a great Senate candidate. Although I got to tell you, um, I, I say that in one breath, I'm a big Jim Banks fan mm-hmm. uh, that I can say in the very next breath. Yeah. So he says the poll has them tied. I, yeah, they're, they're both they're, at 15%. They're, they're both pretty darn close uh, in the the one person Guy A. Relford <laughs> poll too, mm-hmm. because I think they're both great candidates. I think they'd be both great in the Senate. Well, when it comes to name identification and favorability, 
Sparks is at 36%. Banks is at 32%. Mm-hmm. Mitch Daniels yeah. could run away with this if he wants it because he is at 61%. But the interesting thing about this poll was that they included Mike Braun in it, even though we know he's already said he's leaving and he's going to run for governor. He is at 68%. Yeah, And he has been very outspoken about this omnibus bill saying, no, he's not going to vote for it, uh, doing the exact opposite of what Todd Young has done. It is the Kendall and Casey show on 93 WIBC. That's Guy Ralford sitting in for Rob Kendall today. Okay, so when we were off the air, we were talking about a case that you you just got done wrapping up. Yeah. The firearms Preemptive Act? Preemption Act, yeah. Preemption Act? What? Yeah. What is that? Well, it's funny. Yeah, we were just having a conversation. When I leave here, I got to go meet a client mm-hmm. um, to- uh, <laughs> You had just, to do some math. Yeah, I did do math because, yeah, yeah we're, we're getting a settlement check in and, and uh, I got to figure out what his part is and what my part is. And mm-hmm. I was, yeah, that, that I mean, that's how this whole conversation arose because I, right. I was over here cussing because I had to do math. Yeah. I, mean, I went to law school because there's no math involved. Hey, I'm in radio because yeah. there's no math, right? <laughs> but, it, and, but you asked me what the Preemption Act is because yeah. that's what this case involves. It's really something people really need to know about, uh, and that is that in 2011, uh, we passed a law in Indiana that, that basically says, look, we got plenty of laws that regulate guns uh, at the federal level. We got plenty of, of laws at the state level. What we don't need is a bunch of state and or a bunch of local, I should say, regulations within the state that also regulate firearms. Because if you let every county and city and, and airport authority and housing authority and town Township and all these other you know municipal entities that that are what we call political subdivisions. They're local governments. If you let every one of those regulate firearms as well, you'd have this this patchwork quilt that would make mm-hmm. no sense and, and it would be impossible to keep track of. So we passed the Preemption Act in 2011 that basically says, absent some exceptions, like an exception is. Um, that a local government can have a regulation or an ordinance that says you can't take a gun in a building that contains a courtroom. Okay, that's all right. That's fine. They can have that. But and there there are a few other exceptions. But outside those exceptions, um, the law simply says local governments can't regulate firearms. And then it says that if they do then they can be sued, and the recovery in the lawsuit is uh, either their actual damages, like the, the the case we're talking about is a guy just got thrown out of a city park down in southern Indiana for carrying a gun, because there's an ordinance locally that says you can't have a gun in a, in a city park. And I've had several of these across the state. Um, and he got thrown out. Well, they can't thrown do out of the park. Thrown out of the park mm-hmm. for carrying a gun, mm-hmm. and because there's this ordinance that says you can't have a gun in a park. Well, that's an illegal ordinance under the Indiana Firearms Preemption Act, hmm. and so they can be sued. And the legislature looked at that and said, "Well, um, it, it, what would? What, why would anybody file a lawsuit if if the only thing you could recover is?" Um, the actual damages. In other words, you get into a park for free, you get thrown out. Right. You basically have no damages. So, so the government said, the, the state legislature said, I know, we'll, cr- we'll create an incentive here for people to enforce this. So your recovery it can be either your actual damages or liquidated damages, we call them, of three times your attorney's fees plus your attorney's fees. So you file a lawsuit, you litigate that for a while, your attorney mm-hmm. fees start generating, right. and what you recover in that lawsuit is actually four times your attorney's fees, because you get three times attorney's fees as damages, plus your attorney's fees. And so they, they, they really add up pretty quickly. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. And the I've longer had, it litigates, 
the higher it goes. That's right. And, and actually, we settled this one very quickly mm-hmm. um, because the other the attorney on the other side called me and said, "Hey, you know, my client doesn't really want to litigate this. Why don't we just resolve it?" Um, and I and, and she, you know, your client have can't have many damages. And I go, "Well, damages aren't what we're talking about. We're talking about my fees. And here's four x my fees. That's what you owe us." And there's really no, no negotiation involved because the, the number's the number. Um, and so yeah, so I mean, I I like filing them, um, not just so much because you know it puts a little money in, in my client's pocket, but because it sends the message to other municipalities across the state, yeah. don't screw around and restrict Second Amendment rights. Don't make this bogus ordinance. Because I'll, I can make this hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, because the other thing you get out of the lawsuit is you get the ordinance declared uh, illegal and right. unenforceable. And take it away. So you can repeal it on your own. Mm. Or you, you can have me sue you. Like my, my grandpa used to say, you can do your chores or you can take a whipping and do your chores, mm-hmm. but you're going to do your chores. And I, I, I like that mentality when it comes to local governments um, not uh, rescinding or repealing these ordinances that the Preemption Act says you can't have on the books. Okay. So now uh, this fellow is going to get a, a paycheck for... He's going to get a little bit of money uh, right here before the holidays. That's right. Good for him. All right. 17 after 11. It is the Kendall and Casey Show on 93 WIBC. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Good morning, 20 minutes after 11 with the Kendall and Casey Show on 93 WIBC. Guy Relford is in the studio. And uh, moments ago when you and I were talking, you were actually on the radio and on the TV at the same time. And <laughs> so you had a press conference yesterday. Let's yeah. uh, let's take a quick listen to uh, how you sounded at your press conference yesterday. Eli's authorized me to talk generally about the events of that day and, and what's happened since. I mean, you know, again, this is a... An all-American, hardworking—I always want to call him a kid—but he's 22 years old, um, who simply wanted to have a meal uh, with his girlfriend at the mall. Uh, they actually came to Greenwood from the Columbus area uh, because there's a particular smoothie in the area that, that he was after and wanted to come have a smoothie. And they decided to go grab uh, dinner at the mall. And. Um, when the circumstances unfolded as they did, his first thought was simply, I need to protect people. I need to stop this person from killing people. And as the chief has reported, within 15 seconds, engaged the, the shooter and, uh, and was able to neutralize that threat starting from a distance. I lasered it. I, I'm, a, I'm a competitive shooter myself. and and uh, have been active very, for a long time. I went to the mall and, and used a laser rangefinder, and I came up with 42 yards. The chief said 43 today, and uh, engaged the threat from that distance and made hits, uh, eight out of 10. And, and again, what, what was incredible to me in, ta- in, in, in him taking me through the, those events is, is how he uh, was so level-headed and, and was able to exhibit that kind of marksmanship. Okay, under- so you're talking about what happened at the uh, Greenwood Mall. Yes. And... Uh, so you didn't expect to be giving a press conference yesterday. No, I mean I wasn't part of the the press conference that was called by Chief James Ison of the Greenwood Police Department and then he also had the FBI there. It was really a joint press conference the the FBI and uh, 
and uh, the Greenwood Police Department. Um, but I've been in, in pretty much constant communication with Chief mm-hmm. Bison, and he's been great. He's been very communicative, very professional. And um, so he sent me a heads up that the news conference was going to happen, and then I saw the pre- press release on it from Greenwood Police. And so I just let him know via a text. I go, hey, Chief, I'm going to be there. Mm-hmm. And so if you get questions about Eli, my mm-hmm. client, mm-hmm. or things that you would like to defer to me, just you can let people know I'll be there to answer questions after the press conference. And so um, I, I wasn't part of the press conference. You know, I wasn't at the podium during their press conference. But what happened is he, he did get some questions mm-hmm. from reporters about Eli. And he said, hey, Eli's lawyer's here. If you want to talk to him afterward, he'll be available to answer your questions. So as soon as the, the actual press conference ended, I had like 12 reporters questions. walk up to me at once. Yeah. And um, rather than do them one at a time, mm-hmm. somebody said, hey, why don't you just step just back up to the podium? Because they also had their microphones set up yeah. for the actual press conference. So I actually, just impromptu, stepped back up to the podium where the chief just was, and all the cameras were still set up, and the microphones mm-hmm. were all still set up. And I basically then had kind of my own press conference, but it wasn't planned that way. Yeah. In fact, I talked to the chief afterward. I said, I hope that was okay, <laughs> I, you know, because I wasn't trying to step on his toes at all. But he, he was done. Yeah. He had concluded his and walked to the back of the room, and he said, oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely not. It worked great because what I what I did in probably ten or twelve minutes in sort of that impromptu press conference would have taken me two hours to get out of there if I'd done them one at a time. Mm-hmm. Right. Just talking to one reporter at a time. So it was a wise use of my time and, and it worked out fine. So the case is closed. It's done. It's everything's yeah, well, wrapped an, up. Yeah, they announced that you know that there would be no charges against Eli, and that mm-hmm. he's a hero and he saved a lot of lives. So that's the end of it as far as any uh, potential prosecution against Eli, which we all knew. Uh, at the same time, I mean, police have to investigate these very thoroughly because at the end of the day, it's a homicide. Mm-hmm. A homicide is the intentional killing of a human being. You know, did did Eli Dickin in the mall that day uh, commit a homicide? Yes. The question is, was it a legal and justified homicide? Uh, that you know that in fact saved lives because he was defending other people or was it a crime of some sort and you know homicides can be murder they can be manslaughter they can be a number of things so um, the investigation was all about treating a homicide as a homicide mm-hmm. and making sure that there was a thorough evaluation of exactly what happened and uh, and 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 so we knew the outcome and we knew that all along that Eli was a hero who saved countless lives but it's nice to have an official announcement to that right. effect because the Johnson County prosecutor has also reviewed the police investigation results and concluded exactly that. So that puts an end to it as far as that goes. I've had people ask me about, well, what about potential civil liability? Could the family of the the deceased bad guy come back and sue Eli? And that's where I'm I'm very proud. In 2019, after defending uh, or representing another um, hero named Kisty Phillips, who saved the life of a police officer by shooting a a guy who was trying to murder the police officer after a traffic stop that unfolded right in her front yard down in Rising Sun, Indiana. Well, that deceased bad guy's family did sue mm-hmm. the hero in that case. And it was, again, it was a traffic stop where a police officer was being attacked by a guy high on several different drugs, including meth. Uh, Kisty saw this happening right outside her uh, front of her house. She ran out there, saved the police officer's life, who was about to get shot with his own gun, and then got sued for it mm-hmm. by the family of the mm-hmm. deceased bad guy. 
that case in 2019, we used as as momentum and 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 really sort of as a poster child to have a new statute passed in Indiana called the Self Defense Immunity Act, which is just what it sounds like. If you act lawfully in defending yourself or defending a third person, you have absolute civil immunity for that. If you get sued for that, the case can be dismissed very early, and you get a recovery of 100% of your attorney's fees. So that we I wrote that bill. Um, uh, Jim Lucas uh, fought for it in the General Assembly along with many other legislators, including Jerry Tor and others. We got it passed in 2019. So the answer to the question now is, well, does Eli have to worry about getting sued? Civil. Is absolutely not. Yeah. Because if somebody's dumb enough to file that lawsuit, we'll get it dismissed and we'll put some money in Eli's mm-hmm. pocket in terms of uh, uh, a mandatory attorney's fee award. So uh, that that was nice to have that, uh, that arrow in our quiver yeah. as we're wrapping this thing up. Is Eli going to do any... Is he going to speak... On his own, you've. I know yeah. you've been doing all of the speaking for him. Is he going to do any interviews? Because I know when this first happened, everybody was calling him. Oh yeah, well, I, from, I was field- from Tucker Carlson down Absolutely. to Casey Daniels. I, oh, I was fielding all those calls, mm-hmm. including I got four or five calls from Sean Hannity's producer, right? And uh, I kept saying no, and, and that Eli wasn't going to talk. And in fact, I wasn't going to talk either because I said I wasn't going to make public statements until the police investigation was, was over. over. Well, well now that it's just over. happened yesterday, right? And so, and actually, Sean Hannity called me and, oh, was, really? and was somewhat offended. That uh, we wouldn't come on his show, either uh, Eli or me. Obviously, they wanted Eli more than they wanted me. But the answer to the question is, as of right now, no. Uh, Eli wants to uh, go back to his life, man. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he's a hardworking guy. Him. He wants to put it behind him. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's a big thing. I mean, it's you know, it, we all want to pat him on the back and call him a hero because well, I'm that's sure mentally and emotionally, he's dealing with a lot as well. He, he's taking a human life, yeah. And for someone who values human life as Eli does, that's mm-hmm. a big, big thing. And um, everyone, I've represented six people now who have taken a life in self-defense or defense of other people, they're all heroes. They all did exactly what was called. they were called upon to do under the circumstances, but it's very, very traumatic for all of them. And, and it feels a little odd when you're going through this, uh, 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 you know, and, and, I, and I know this from each of my clients having said it, uh, I represented the, the gentleman who did, uh, was at uh, uh, the um, Kroger at 71st in Georgetown who defended his co-workers and himself from an armed robber. And he said, people want to buy me a beer and pat me on the back. And and, and, and and celebrate. And he goes, I don't want to celebrate. It's the worst day of my life. Yeah. And I wish it never happened. Right. They probably want to forget it. Yeah. Okay. We've got to get to news uh, really quick. And also part two of my conversation with Jeff Simoleon is on the way where we talk about uh, Jim Irsay and the Colts. I also ask him about Elon Musk and uh, what's happening with the Big Ten. Uh, lots of things. But before we do that, I wanted to ask you really, really quick guy. When you do a press conference like that, do you ever go back and watch yourself and uh, grade your your performance, or yeah, do you I just mean, put it behind you and move on? No, I mean I uh, I don't second guess, but I always try to use them as a little bit as a learning experience. Mm-hmm. I mean I, I I usually on Sunday morning my, my wife and I will put the podcast to my radio show on, yeah, and I'm sitting there and I'm counting ums and errs and well, yeah. or, you know I'll use the wrong word, I, you know mm-hmm. I meant this word and I use that word and, yeah. and 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 you you critique a little bit, but I try to use it more as a, a learning experience to say okay, if you don't have a word, don't say um, yeah, always Just trying to shut improve. up and, and until you have the word right, get and that so, verbal pause, yeah. 
yeah, and and so there there are little uh, learning experiences I try to draw out of it, but I don't second guess anything. It's, you know, it's like selling stock, man. When, once it's sold, I don't I don't I don't, I don't look back. Uh, but no, it, I th- they can be different. Definitely learning experiences. The, the one yesterday, I was very relaxed for mm-hmm. because I mean, one, I've been living with this case for a long time. It's my subject matter. Uh, but the other is because it was completely impromptu. I didn't yeah. really know it was going to happen, so there, there was certainly no opportunity to get nervous. But I've never really been nervous about public speaking. I've, I've always actually enjoyed it. I think I might be a little bit of a ham who uh, likes hearing himself talk too much. <laughs> <laughs> and on that on that note, we're going to take a break. It is the Ken Ellen Casey Show on 93 WIBC. You're listening to the Kettle and Casey Show on 93 WIBC and Jeff Smullyan's joining me in the studio, CEO of MS Communications. All right, Jeff, you've got this book out called Never Ride a Roller Coaster Upside Down. And it's funny, it's insightful, but I want to ask you some questions that aren't relative to the book. Fire and away. these are just based on your life experience. So you're on the board of USC right. and you played a role in their impending entrance to the Big Ten. So right. I'm hoping you'll talk about that. And where college athletics is going with super conferences and NIL. Yeah, and it's I spent about three and a half years basically trying to figure out what we did with the Pac-12. Um, the Pac-12 had fallen so far behind the Big Ten and the Southeastern Conference that originally my goal was to merge the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. Uh, but the Big Ten really only wanted USC and to bring UCLA along. I think in the future, I think you're probably going to have two super conferences. Mm-hmm. I think the Big Ten will probably add three or four more schools. Uh, if I had to guess, I'd say Notre Dame, Oregon, Washington, and Stanford. I think the ACC will add more schools. I'm sorry, the SEC, mm-hmm. probably Florida State, Miami, and Clemson, and North Carolina, things like that. Um and most of the impact will be in those two conferences. The problem is there's just a lot of money. And there's so much money that it's it, college football is America's second most popular sport. Mm-hmm. So when the NFL gets $15 billion a year for TV and college football gets $3 billion a year with you know a significantly higher preference, then there's no question college football is going to get more. And as you get two major conferences, they're able to capture more of that money. Do you think Notre Dame will go into the Big Ten? I think at the end of the day they probably will, although it depends on their negotiations with NBC. Mm-hmm. I think if NBC gives them so much money, they may stay out. Uh, and they have sort of a half arrangement with the ACC. Um, but I think most of it's going to occur in those two big conferences. And then when you get to NIL, it, it's kind of, it is the Wild West. Um, you know, five years ago, if a kid did a charity and signed autographs for that charity, he was in danger of suspension. Mm-hmm. Well, today, that same kid could get $2 million a year over the table, and everybody says, oh, it's fine. Uh, there'll have to be some regulation of NIL. Yeah, but right now it's the Wild West. It's the Wild West. You yeah. can get anything, anybody mm-hmm. can get anything. And with transfer portals and NIL, mm-hmm. um, they're just no standards. Yeah. Speaking of that, okay, so you started America's first all-sports radio station, right. the format. Where do you think the cap is for sports? Have we reached the pinnacle with the exception of the NFL? No, I think sports. I, I, I've kiddingly said, I think Karl Marx said, uh, religion is the opiate of the masses. Um, today, sports is the opiate of the masses. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what we care about. I think as the world gets more complicated, yeah. sports is a place we sort of 
you know, we escaped really, to it, we escaped to we <laughs> yeah. escaped to it, uh, and people care passionately about it. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, when I started WFAN, no, everybody thought it was crazy. I have a chapter in the book called uh, "I Have a Favorite Saying: The Line Between Being a Genius and an Idiot Is Very Fine." Mm-hmm. So I talked about starting sports radio, and I went from idiot to genius because the thing worked, <laughs> even though for the first six, first really eighteen months, it was kind of a disaster. Yeah. Uh, Jim Lampley called it the Vietnam War of Emmas, um, and I think you know it, people in the office called it Smolian's Folly. And then one day it worked. We got Don Imus, mm-hmm. we got Mike and the Mad Dog, we switched frequencies, and then I went from idiot to genius. Mm-hmm. And then and then I went right from there to buying the Seattle Mariners, mm-hmm. where I was the boy wonder, um, signing autographs everywhere on TV all the time. Um, and so I was a genius. And then when the thing didn't work, then I was an idiot. So I've seen both sides of life. Okay, now speaking of the Seattle Mariners, can you relate to how Jim Ursay feels and does that have any effect on team management? And also, yeah. what's your perspective on owning a Major League franchise with an angry fan base? Well, I've lived it. Yeah, um, and I've so said, that's why we're asking uh, you. Yeah, and I think, I mean, listen, although the fan, the general fans were pretty good to me. We had, you know, some press that was tough. But I think, you know, nobody loves sports owners. Um, and I know Jimmy well. I know Herb well. Um, uh, one of my favorite lines is my friend uh, Tom Werner, who at that time owned the Padres, now is an owner of the Boston Red Sox. And... There were, he had he had made a quote where he said, rather than spend the money ten million dollars more to finish third in the National League West, maybe I'd spend ten million less and give that ten million dollars to cancer research. Mm-hmm. Well, that may be a personally perfectly rational statement, but. It, it was a firestorm. What do you mean you're not spending all the money you can? So I think nobody loves sports owners, and everybody has an opinion. Um, and I think it's just it's a challenging position. I, I can empathize with Herb. I can empathize with Jim. Jim's had a very tough year this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you do this long enough, you're going to have tough years. Yeah. Is it because nobody likes the owner because there has to be a bad guy when things go wrong? Yeah, everybody points to the, yeah, everybody points to the boss mm-hmm. um, and says, hey, it's got to be his fault not my fault i'm just a fan yeah so and you know and and these are tough decisions you know you can say they're going to pick carson wentz and if he's great you're a genius and if he's not great you're an idiot that's kind of life Jeff Simoleon is joining us, and we're talking about his book, Never Ride a Roller Coaster Upside Down. And you're about to be honored and inducted into the Radio Hall of Fame. And with your long, influential career in broadcasting, I have to ask you, and this is a more serious subject. Okay. What do you hope will be the intersection between media and government going forward? Well, I'm a big believer, you know, as Thomas Jefferson said, you know, without without a free press, mm-hmm. you have, you know, if I could choose between a democracy and a free press, give me a, demo- or a free press, I, I can't remember the exact quote, you, you absolutely have to have a watchdog. You absolutely have to have people with the unfettered ability to say what they think mm-hmm. uh, and hold government account. You know, I, I get very depressed about the state of the newspaper industry because it's very hard to have have investigative reporters and the staffs that we used to have. And I've had both Republicans and Democrats said, if if there's not a newspaper that's a vibrant industry, who's going to hold us in check? Um, so you really have to have, I'm a fanatical believer in, in a free press. Even if you don't agree with the politics, 
Yeah. For example, WIBC. Yeah, absolutely. It was well known my politics are different than the politics in WIBC. Sure. And I felt very strongly um, that they there was a place and that people had the right to express opinions, which clearly were different from my own. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I respect that. I uh, always have. In entrepreneurship, there's always ups and downs. Right. And what advice would you give someone that is starting out? And conversely, what advice would you give to someone who isn't starting out like Elon Musk? Well, uh, <laughs> that's a great question, heavy Casey. Sigh. Yeah, oh, heavy sigh. How much well, time do we have? Yeah, I, 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 well, we're going to need a few more hours. Um, as far as starting out, find something you love. Mm-hmm. Um, do something you love because to, to succeed, you're going to need a couple things. Number, you're going to need to work hard. And the only way to work hard is to care about what you do. I've always said I love media, so it was my hobby mm-hmm. as well as my job. Um, and you're also going to need some luck. Um, I can say, I have a favorite saying, if any one of 10 things had happened, my company would be 100 times bigger. If any one of 10 other things had happened, I would be sweeping streets somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I've had a very, very fortunate life. But I think it's it's persistence. It's love what you do. Um, I, I've developed a saying that we're all the entrepreneurs of our own lives. Mm. Um, we, can, we are in charge of our own lives. Some people like to be entrepreneurs. Some people don't. Um, I've always kidded and said, I'm an entrepreneur because I'm not hireable in a free society. Um, Have to be my own boss. Yeah. As far as the Twitter escapade, I can't quite figure out what he's doing. Yeah. It seems like they change it every day, mm-hmm. every hour. I just saw yesterday that he, he uh, you know, said, if, if, the, if the vote is that you, you want me to step down, He'll I'll step, step down. down. So I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I have enough trouble running my own business. I, I, gonna... I can't figure out what the heck he's doing. Would you ever have allowed someone to vote on whether you should step down from your own company? I, that's a great question. I haven't thought about no. that. No. <laughs> Probably not. Probably okay. not. Uh, one, one last question with Jeff Simoleon. Um, you've managed some very ho- high-profile people like Ken yeah. Griffey Jr., uh, Don Imus, you mentioned him, also David Letterman. Can you instantly tell that someone has stardust, or is that learned? Well, yeah, I mean, listen, you could listen to David Letterman on the air and know instantly um, there were so many crazy stories with Dave. I'm looking at the monument, and one day he announced that the city of Indianapolis had sold the monument to Guam, uh, <laughs> and they had replaced it with a 300-foot celery stalk. <laughs> and uh, people called him and said, how could you can't get rid of the monument? And David said, yeah, but we need more greenery downtown. Uh, another time, I'll never forget, I came back from lunch, and a guy said, Letterman's a communist. And I said, why? He said, well, I called in and said, there's communists all over Carmel. And you know what he said? I said, no, I don't know what he said. He said, well, he said, you got to give them Carmel. The roads are always torn up. Their football team's lousy. Uh, You can never find a good parking space. So give the communists Carmel and let them hold the line at Nora. (laughs) So David would just do crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. You knew that David was brilliant. yeah, the same with Ken Griffey. The first time you watched Ken Griffey hit, you knew he was a superstar. Yeah. Um, certain people just have natural, God-given talents yeah. that it, it's impossible to get away from. Well, you are one of the uh, perennial broadcasters in the country, and of course, definitely throughout the state of Indiana, anybody who's done any sort of uh, time in media <laughs> has heard of you. And uh, before we say goodbye, Jeff Simoleon, I would like to ask, is there like 
like a, a monthly or an annual meeting between, say, you and, and John Dilly from Federated Media or Sarkis Tarzian or yeah. even Arthur Angotti, the Indiana guys get yeah. together and decide well, how the state's going to look? John has been one of my dear friends forever. Yeah. Uh, when I started, he was sort of just a few years older than me, but sort of like a big brother to me. Uh, we joke, he lives in Elkhart, I live here. Mm-hmm. I said he's the only person I would drive midway to Peru to have lunch with, which we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite people, and I knew Art very well. Mm-hmm. Thought the world of him. No Tom Tarzian. So we, you know, it's it's a kind of a tight knit fraternity. Yeah. And uh, broadcasters kind of love other broadcasters. Yeah. Thank you very much for spending some time with us. Thanks, Casey. This yeah. has been delightful. The book is called Never Ride a Roller Coaster Upside Down by Jeff Simulian, and it is available on Amazon right now. You're listening to the Kendall and Casey Show on 93 WIBC. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. It's the most wonderful time of the year. 11.52 with the Kendall and Casey Show on 93 WIBC. Guy Ralford is in for Rob Kendall today. So, Guy, there's this woman who broke into Robert De Niro's place (laughs) and stole presents from under his tree while he was sleeping upstairs. Now, keep in mind, she was already wanted for a string of burglaries. It was her 26th time being arrested. Just another example of catch and release. But that's not what we're going to talk about. I'm curious that if Robert... Robert De Niro had woken up while this woman had broke into his house and was stealing the Christmas presents from under his tree. What were his rights? What could he have done? Yeah. Talk to me about the Castle Doctrine. Uh, you bet. And and let's let's apply Indiana law to this. Perfect. Uh, since I'm you know it's happened in New York on the Upper East Side, and, and I'm certainly not a New York attorney. By the way, my first thought upon uh, reading this story, Casey, is that clearly this woman has not seen the movie Heat because <laughs> there, there's some serious firepower being right. thrown around in that movie by Robert De Niro. Yes. Uh, but the way the Castle Doctrine works, and the reason we call it the Castle Doctrine, is that um, it simply allows you to defend your home. In Indiana, the wording actually says you can use reasonable force, including deadly force, mm. to either prevent or terminate an unlawful entry into or attack on your dwelling. Now, it goes on from there, but we'll, we'll leave it there for this discussion. Uh, so I can use deadly force, meaning kill someone or seriously injure them, simply to either prevent or terminate an unlawful entry into my home. What makes the Castle Doctrine different than other provisions of Indiana's self-defense statute is that I don't have to establish that I feared getting hurt myself mm-hmm. or that I was defending the life uh, or, or or the health of, of, of an, another person and defending someone, including myself, from serious bodily injury. That tends to be the standard outside your home. I have to be defending someone from serious injury. We call it serious bodily injury uh, or death or, or the commission of what we call a forcible felony. That's outside the home. Inside the home. If someone's illegally in my mm-hmm. home. This now, was a cat burglar. Yeah. And now, again, they have to be illegally in my home. When are they not illegally in my home? When I invited them or when their name's on the lease uh, or, or um, you know, something along those lines. But if they're illegally in my home, they mm-hmm. broke in, mm-hmm. then I can use deadly force. 
in Indiana, and, and by the way, I say broke in, it doesn't require physically breaking anything. Like some states have. But the door jam doesn't have to be off the frame or right, window no. shattered. And in some states it does, mm. um, and and but not in Indiana. And uh, if they illegally enter my home, which means they enter my home without my permission, mm-hmm. then I can use reasonable force up to and including deadly force. And um that comes into play a lot, but it's it's specifically because I don't have that necessity of proving I feared you know injury or death myself before I defend my home is why we call it the castle doctrine. You can simply defend your, your castle, castle up to and including deadly force. Hmm. I wonder what she was trying to get from Robert De Niro. She must have thought there was something good under that Christmas well, tree. Well, yeah, I mean, I got to believe he's got something pretty good under the mm-hmm. Christmas tree in Robert De Niro's house. I don't know. But at at, at the same time, yeah. you think of, of Robert De Niro, I mean, whether he is in real life uh, or not is a separate question, but you think of him as being kind of a tough guy, right? Yeah. Uh, if, you know, if not a mafioso type, who's probably got you know, several firearms uh, stashed about you know his, his place in You know what? He was sleeping upstairs. He probably had a CPAP machine on. Yeah, right. He, exactly. He had the eye mask going. And <laughs> He's got he the old man routine up going upstairs. He didn't hear a thing. He didn't even know that woman was there. Yeah, no doubt. But uh, yeah, but uh, she's uh, good for her. She's only going to jail. She didn't uh, sacrifice her life for breaking into someone's home. Well, she was only arrested for the 27th time this time. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for coming in and joining me today. My and pleasure. Good job, Kevin. Thank you so much. I hope you both have a wonderful and Merry Christmas. And thank you so much for listening. Merry Christmas to you. It's 93 WIBC.